Yeah, I get to interview Kim Kesterkey, the W-2 landlord, the person who's also saying things that I'm saying very similarly, which is, hey, you don't have to quit your job to invest in real estate. In fact, right now in this climate, it might not be the best idea. So we're going to talk about that. What happens if you are working a W-2 or maybe it's not even a W-2, maybe it's your job as an agent, but you're kind of tired of that rat race, you're tired of that grind and you're wanting to start to invest in properties and move yourself in the direction of freedom. We're going to be talking about that. Kim, take us into it. Like, What was your investing journey? Where did it start? Absolutely. Thank you. So I started back in 2005 and that was right before the first economic downturn. And I bought a house because that's what everybody was doing. I invested in it. I actually house hacked one of the rooms, not really knowing house hacking was a thing. And then in 2006, as we all know, the economy took a turn for the worse. I found myself $30,000 underwater on that property and what it caused me to do was to get really creative. And that's how I pivoted into landlording. I ended up having to move because I was transferred for a job about two and a half hours away. So I ended up renting the space and ended up managing that property from a distance. And as the years went on, I saw success. So I started acquiring a duplex here, a triplex there, and just slowly, slowly grew my rental portfolio. So in 2015, um, as we were talking before the show, I was driving to one of my rental properties and I thought, gosh, you know, there's got to be a lot of people like myself who don't want to leave their job or they can't leave their job that are investing in real estate. And so that's where I really started developing content, a Facebook group, and just really catering to people who have a full-time job, who want to invest and who eventually want to leave or maybe keep their job. Um, you know, there's a lot of different options when it comes to more of the investing while you have a job space. Yeah, totally. So what, what have you found? Like, what are some of the things out there you feel like people are talking about that's not right that we should correct? Well, it's just, there's just so much uh, narrative when it comes to real estate investing. So it's, I honestly think it's, it depends on what your fit is. And what I mean by that is, what is your risk tolerance? What are your resources? Some people might have a lot of time, but not a lot of money. So they really should be looking at more wholesaling and some of these other strategies where some people who have full-time jobs, they've got money, they may have good credit and they can get those traditional loans. Um, you know, They could focus more on that way. Now that real estate or the um, interest rates on real estate, excuse me, have gone so high, there's still ways to invest in real estate without necessarily having to go the conventional loan route. That's where seller financing comes in. That's where wrap mortgages or sub two loans where you actually can assume a loan that's at three and a half percent from a seller. Those are all different strategies. So what I would challenge people is figure out what is your risk tolerance? What are you comfortable with? And really start focusing on that niche because there's just so many different ways to invest in real estate right now. Absolutely. So what's a quick way, I mean, like that someone could find that out? Like, I mean, obviously, like we put out a podcast today with all these different various strategies, but like, what are, what are, would be your method? If you were a W2 person, you know, you want freedom, you don't know exactly how to get it. How do you find that fit very quickly? So I would look into, I love seller finance, to be honest with you. And as a W2 
you have your full-time job. So you don't necessarily have all the time in the world. So what I would highly recommend is find some of those Facebook groups, find some of those communities that talk a lot about seller financing, how to get into those deals. I would have about three years ago, just highly recommended go the conventional loan route, but that's just, it's a lot more challenging nowadays. So I would really laser focus on learning how to assume an already existing loan that's between three and a half percent, four and a half percent and getting in that way. And, you know, some people might think, well, gosh, you know, are there even deals like that? And there absolutely are. I'm in the process right now today under contract, assuming a loan from a buyer at a three and a half percent interest rate. So it's just, I would highly recommend people learning more about that and getting into that. You Are you generally buying single family houses? What does your portfolio look like? My personal portfolio started out with a single family, but then I saw a lot of leverage in getting a duplex and then a triplex and then really focusing on those. You know, once I built my confidence, I went back into single family um, in just different strategies, um, a lot around, you know, midterm rentals. Um, I have a couple short-term rentals. I, I prefer the midterm rentals when it comes to single family. But on my duplexes, all of those are the long-term rental strategy. Yeah. And so you built to a six-figure passive income, right? I mean, is that, yes. is that like a net number? Is that a gross number? That is a gross number. But yeah. I ended up leaving my W-2 at the end of 2022. So for the last, gosh, you know, we're in August now, eight months, it's covered my lifestyle. And my lifestyle hasn't changed at all. So yeah. it's, I guess when it comes down to it, it doesn't net six figures, but it still covers everything that I need. And I'm glad this is the answer, right? Because I think one of the things that I hear a lot from people that are like, Matt, like, how do I get financial freedom? How do, you know, I mean, one of the easiest ways is to actually like minimize your standard, right? I mean, to begin with, right? You can always continue to add more properties and add more things that will give you more cash flow and get you a higher level of freedom. But if you could just learn how to live on 3000 a month or 5000 a month instead of 8 or 12 or 15 then you can actually experience freedom faster than you can place more energy there to grow that for you what was what was the number you needed to feel like you could leave your job So mine just comfortably was 5000 a month and I live in the state of Georgia so I mean I know someone in California or Seattle is probably like oh god you know I don't know if I could do that but I was able to do it on 5,000. And then on top of that, I had worked something out with my own property. I ended up renovating the basement and um, created a garden apartment. And that apartment covers my mortgage and then some. So it just ended up just really doing some prep work before I left the W-2. Uh, the first thing I did is I did take a look at my expenses. But I found I'm in a stage of my life, I didn't necessarily want to cut a lot of things out. So I just looked at what was the unnecessary waste, just things that I wouldn't even miss. So I ended up cutting that out. And then I looked at, okay, this is what I can live comfortably. This is my lifestyle. I still want to eat out. I still want to travel. I still want to hang out with you know, my friends. I still need to support my daughter's soccer and, and all those things. So I really looked at that. And then I just got really creative on well, okay, I have this extra space in my basement. I'm going to invest in that, make it a private room and, or not a room, it's an actual apartment. And that covers that. So what I love about real estate is once you really get into it and you really understand all the different nuances, there's so many different ways that you can generate income to support your life. Yeah, hundred percent agree. 
So many different asset classes too. I mean, you mentioned obviously single family, duplexes, triplexes. I personally invested in rent by the room properties and mobile home parks. And I mean, like the list goes on and on and on as as you get going. So we've talked about some of the mistakes out there of, of what people are thinking. You've talked about seller financing being a really good approach. Let's talk about maybe some of the challenges that you faced in the seller financing world, right? I mean, I think a lot of people, when they come into this new, the sellers are like, well, I need 50% down, or, or this is crazy, some of the terms that they require. What are some of your ways to get around those things and still get deals done? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's all about motivation. And, and I know that's a little bit overused, um, but in the sense of you really got to find out what is, what is that seller's most important thing. And what we think it is may not be their most important thing. For instance, we might automatically go in and, and they're saying, I need 50% down. Well, we, we got to dig in and understand, well, what do you need the 50% for? Do you need the 50% because you really have that much debt and you need to pay for all that? Or do you, or is just the mindset, I need the 50%. They might just be saying 50% down, but maybe they only need 25 grand to do what it is that they want to do. So instead of going in at 50% down, what if you gave them the 25 grand and then amateurized or negotiated maybe the other part of the spread or built other terms and levers within the deal that were attractive to that seller? It's really finding out why they're asking that, what's most important, and then fulfilling that important need, not so much what we assume the need is. So let's talk about the terms a little bit. So, I mean, obviously down payment's a big part of it, but but how long you get the money for and uh, those types of things. H- how long generally are you structuring the seller finance notes to be? It just, it all depends. So the one that we're structuring right now, it's a three-year refinance, but we have the option to extend, which I think event, you know, we're most likely going to extend. And then another one that I did is an eight-year with option to extend. But but I've provided seller financing on different properties myself, and I personally like more of the long-term. So some of my deals that I've structured, I have a 10-year, I've got a 15-year, I've got a 12-year. So it just really all depends on that situation and what makes the most sense at that time. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. 
If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. How, how do you typically, for yourself, since you do seller finance and when you're buying, overcome the challenges of people saying, well, I just don't want to have to foreclose on you and go through that process? How do you handle that objection? Yeah. So the um, just so that I'm clear where the seller says they don't want to foreclose that yeah. sort of, or, or I yeah, personally- you're buying a property and you're discussing it and you guys agree to down payment, you agree to the length of the term. And then they're like, they start thinking about it. They're like, you know what? If you don't make the payments, I'm going to have to foreclose on you. And I don't want to have to do that. Right. I'm yeah. assuming that's an objection you probably get. It is. I mean, it's it's definitely a fear. I mean, there's, I mean, I can always pull up the track record of all the other mortgages that I've paid on yeah. time and, and show that I'm good for it, show them my credit score, um, show, and even if like, you know, some people, well, I don't necessarily want to show them my credit score. You can definitely show the track record of you paying your current mortgage or rent payments or whatever it is that you've been paying on time. You can absolutely show them that. Um, you know, I don't get the foreclosure objection too often, but I do get it. And it's more of just them saying, how do I know I can trust you? So that really tells me that we haven't fully developed that rapport enough that they trust me, but I do have support, supportive documents that I could always show them. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, the, so you, you overcome that objection. I mean, what other objections do you face that other people might face that we can give some insight on? Well, a lot of objections that I see is we get to the finish line and say they have a friend who's, you know, a lawyer, but not a real estate lawyer and doesn't quite understand seller finance. And then, you know, kind of starts talking them, oh, you know, you're not, you're not protected or this or that. And so it's, it's just going back to what we talked about, what's important to them, you know, prove, you know, showing that, you know, we've, proven. Here's my track record. Um, some investors, I personally haven't done this, but I have heard this as a tip is has a portfolio of all the different things that they have done. Um, it's probably not a bad idea. Um, I have never had to necessarily go to that, you know, just, but, but that's just my experience. But another thing too, is I also always keep the mindset of what, what's best, what's best for all the parties is what's best. And sometimes a deal not happening is the best thing. Like it doesn't always have to end in a deal. It we could walk away. There have been times I've walked away and they've actually reached back out, you know, a few months later because they couldn't get a better deal or they couldn't sell the property the way that they wanted. So you don't always have to rush it through. Sometimes it takes time, but it's all based on trust when it comes to doing a seller finance deal. Yeah. So Deal evaluation. Like mm -hmm. a lot of times, seller finance deals happen because the seller wants to get more money than they could normally get, which is kind of part and parcel, I think, with what you're saying, which is they couldn't sell it anywhere else. In other words, you're probably not getting the deal of the century in in terms of price. So how do you underwrite these to know if it's a, if it's a good deal and if you're going to be able to make some money on it? So there's all different levers you can pull. So price is one of them. Then you have interest rate. As another, you have um, you know different different pieces of collateral on top of the property itself as as another, and there's a lot of different ways that you can cut it. Um, the way that I've looked at it is there was one time that I paid more for what I felt it was worth 
because I knew the area. I liked it. I knew I could make money, but I negotiated a very low interest rate. And that's what made it worth for me. So I was able to then take that property and then turn around and resell it using seller financing. I charged a much higher interest rate and I ended, you know, ended up making money because the interest rate was higher. So it's just thinking things through. And those that type of scenario, though, is I would highly recommend anybody who's interested in doing seller financing, go take a class, go go do some education. That's like advanced level seller financing. Right now, you can find deals where people are about ready to be in foreclosure. They're not yet in foreclosure, that they're, the motivation is good, that you can assume the loan pay some money so that they walk away with something. Those are kind of more of to start with entry level. And then as you're going along, if somebody wants a higher price and you know terms and you know the different levers to pull, then start pulling those different levers. Yeah, absolutely. And so basically like in an event where you buy the property for more than it's worth, the exit strategies can be one, you could sell it again to somebody on seller financing, assuming you know that that's a possibility. Or two, you might need to make the whole period on, on how long the note is much, much longer, right? Because if you can't refinance at a similar rate and the property's worth, uh, you paid more for it than it's worth, then exiting might be hard otherwise, right? So either have a very, very long term or have a stable of buyers that can essentially like want to buy on those type of terms. A hundred percent. And and I would say too, the way that the market is right now, we're seeing that we're not necessarily having to pay more than what it's worth right now. Yeah. And the reason why is because interest rates are going up. People aren't getting as many loans. The We haven't yet seen the prices come down, but I'm seeing things on the market longer. And again, you know, just using this one deal that I have under contract right now, it fell out of escrow four times. And then the seller was finally open to doing this more sub two um, seller yeah. finance option. Yeah. So I think what we're going to start seeing is we're going to start seeing the market prices come down because there's just a lot of pressure right now. Yeah. So in the sub two world, I know one of the big obstacles is is the due on sale clause. And, and I know there's a lot of fight back and forth with, you know, they don't really enforce it almost ever. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, there's been a lot of sayings about do on sell insurance. I've never actually found a company that will actually provide that. Yeah. How do you, how do you handle the do on sell portion? Are you guys using different entities, keeping it in the seller's name and in the terms of like an installment sale or how do you guys handle that aspect? Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's definitely a lot of back and forth on this. So I'm just going to say what I'm doing. This is what I personally am doing. And then I'll also explain. Not legal advice, right? Get your own advice from attorneys and accountants. Exactly. So it's okay. So a few of them that I have just are just assume the loan. I've done a a couple of wrap loans. Um, That's been one way. Um, The one I'm working on now, it's a little bit new to me. Um, it is where we're acquiring it or where the seller keeps it in their name, but you have a uh, trust and then the beneficiary is the LLC. Um, again, what my thought process is around all of this is that if the bank wants to call the loan, they're going to call the loan, whether it's in a trust, whether it's an LLC, it, it, it doesn't prevent them from calling the loan. But one thing that I also believe is that Banks aren't in the business to call loans. They're in the business 
to have performing loans because then what they do is they have all these performing loans and they're able to sell them to other banks and then they make interest in all of these other things. And so I can't guarantee that, but if the due on sale clause is the biggest holdup for people, it's just, it, it's one of those things that, yes, it's their alligator in the water, but what is the overall risk to reward? And in my opinion, the overall reward is you get you get this property. And then on top of that, they don't just come to you and say, you have to pay this off in 10 days. They're going to give you enough time. So, okay, let's say it gets the due on sale. Go ahead, put it on the market, sell it. Excuse me. I just got really, it's like hit something yeah. on my desk. Sell that property, get your money. I mean, with real estate, there's so many different exit strategies. Maybe you go refinance. I mean, maybe you go and get a couple private investors and be like, hey, I'm in a bind. And you take private money out and you pay it. So again, there's so many different ways that if that does happen, you can still become whole that I just don't even look at it as a big obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the big thing that would be hard is if you know, that person that ends up, you know, because uh, obviously their name's still on the below, right? So they could get damaged as far as their credit and so on and so forth. So, but again, guys, I mean, if you're listening to this, like, you know, do your own research and, and, and do your own thing there. But the main point we're really trying to get across today is that you can continue working your job and buy these deals. And, and so you see the value of, you know, seller finance really as, the ability to not have to go through some of the crazy jumps and hoops and uh, and and really like with the normal Fannie Freddie loans, like you have a limit of how many you can have, right? Six, 10, depending on liquidity, et cetera. What are maybe some of the other things that you're seeing um, as far as benefits of going non-traditional? Well, I just, the interest rate is much better. Yeah. Um, you don't have to necessarily bring 20% to the table as you would a conventional loan. And just that, you know, once you get used to them, there's, there's a lot out there. So it really is one of those things that, you know, if you were to ask me this three years ago, I would have said, just go the conventional route. You're W2. You don't have a lot of time to really research all of this stuff. But, but as we're seeing, going the conventional route isn't necessarily attainable for a lot of people. So it's okay, pivot. Where are some other opportunities there are in this, you know, seller financing world? And just to kind of go back on the the seller keeping the mortgage under their name. I mean, if you're going to get into this, you know, do this with integrity. Stand by that loan. You know, that's yeah. you're getting that loan. This is your loan to stand by. So, you know, if something happens, just find an exit strategy. Make sure that seller stays whole. And I just think having that attitude of just doing this with integrity is just it just I don't know, like, you know, just sometimes, you know, just, I don't know, what do I want to say? Just stay in the flow, do it with integrity. And yeah. you'll, you'll get a lot of, I don't want to say wealth, but just a lot of reward from that. Yeah. Especially if you build it over time and recognize it's not all built in a day. A lot of gurus yeah. out there saying you can get wealthy beyond your wildest imagination in six months or a year. And while it might be theoretically possible, likely a lot of problems will happen if you're going that fast. So let's talk about, I mean, you obviously acquiring these properties have a lot of things that have to be done, right? Hiring property managers, filling units. I know you have some some experience around that. Talk to us about like when a W-2 person buys these properties, what comes next and what do they need to do? 
Yeah. So I would say the next thing you have your property and you decide how do you want to rent it? Is it medium term, short term, long term? But let's just use long term as the example. Then what I would do is make sure that the unit is nice and clean. It looks clean and crisp inside, professional cleaner, hire a professional photographer, get the photos, put them up on Zillow. Zillow Rental Manager is free to set up an account. Um, you may have, depending on your market, you may have to pay anywhere from $9.99 a month to $29.99, but it's well worth it. And everybody's going on Zillow anyway. So set up that account, market it that way. If if you don't have the time, then hire a property manager. Uh, they're usually around 10% of the rental price. And then, you know, the property manager that I use, use she actually charges half of the first month's rent to, the, to do the marketing. But I have a system in place for the marketing, so I don't necessarily need that. All I need is her help managing the day-to-day. Yeah, love it. What is your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? So mine's a little bit unique. So my next goal is, which is, you know, usually people are like, acquire, acquire, acquire. So I'm definitely going to keep my eye open for good deals. But my, my goal is to pay down as many of my mortgages as possible and own them free and clear. And there's another back and forth <laughs> that you get on the internet. A lot of people are like, why in the world would you pay off your mortgages and not acquire using that cash. And the reason why is I'm a lot more conservative than maybe some other investors. And my thing is I want to own the, the properties that I own free and clear. That's going to open up more cash to acquire in the future. And frankly, with the way interest rates are, and yes, we can do seller financing, but might as well, you know, take this time and scale back a little bit in the sense of take the money that I do make put it onto my mortgages, pay them off. And then that should be done within the next, I would, my goal is five years. It, it might take longer, but then after that, you know, I've got all this time to invest again and the market might be an entirely different market. So that's really what I'm focusing on right now. Yeah. I mean, and obviously depending on what the interest rates are, if you're paying these down, you're getting returns, right? You're getting the return of not paying the interest. And there's like a simplicity. I mean, like, not that I agree with everything that Dave Ramsey says, but like, I mean, the guy owns like 600 million in real estate that's free and clear. Like there is something, there's something really freeing about owning a lot of real estate without a lot of debt. Um, debt can be a great tool. can be a great leverage, but yeah. Um, well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about this perspective. I think this is a very uh, potentially valuable perspective for people to have that they don't have to leave a good source of income while they build their portfolio. And then if they use these alternate strategies of financing to acquire properties, it can allow for a lot more profitability and flexibility in the growth. Um, and I also enjoy the perspective of, you know, maybe this is a time to pull back um, and and really start taking care of some debt while this market's a little bit interesting and then see where the market takes us and then maybe re-engage. So um, very good perspectives. But guys, if you're out there listening, you might've taken something different from this episode. Write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you, Matt. So thank you. Um, I think it's really cool what you're doing. I, I... Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 